0: Well, Wednesday was a big day around the valley, especially when you talk about high school sports, college sports, National Signing Day, and we'll talk about it all on the first ever edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. Today is Thursday, February 7th. I'm Greg Medea, host of the podcast. I'm the Jamie football beat writer at the paper. You're used to hearing me on the walkthrough podcast, Uh, but a little bit different flavor today as we kick this off. Uh, and kind of talk all things sports in the greater Harrisonburg area. We'll talk prep sports, JMU, EMU, Bridgewater. Uh, We'll kind of talk about anything and anything going on sports-wise in the area on this what will now be a weekly podcast. I'm sure we'll get into Valley Baseball and RCBL uh, over the summer. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll touch on it all uh, as we get this podcast going. This is the first edition And I want to do it today uh, because we're coming off a little bit of, you know, some newsworthy stuff that's going on in the area. And on this podcast, we'll have our our sports writer, sports editor, myself included. We'll have Cody Elliott with the high schools, uh, Shane Metlin on JMU, women's hoops, men's hoops, and of course, our sports editor, Jim Sacco, uh, that you'll hear from later on. Uh, and they'll, they'll be on each and every week. Today's special guest, we'll always try to get a special guest or two. Today's guest uh, is Ben Spots, baseball coach at Eastern Mennonite. Uh, the Royals open up on Saturday, so you'll hear from him. As we try to touch on everything and anything going on in the world of sports in the Shenandoah Valley, greater Harrisonburg area, uh, but football is king and that's where we start uh, after a national signing day Wednesday, the day after some aftermath, and I'm going to bring in Cody Elliott, uh, our prep writer here at the Daily News Record. Uh, we'll, we'll I'll get to JMU in a minute, but for that you, you can go to the walkthrough podcast uh, to get the full details on that and, and catch up on JMU. I want to start uh, with with a prep star that signed yesterday, Marcus Robinson Jenkins, Harrisonburg High School. Signs with Navy, going to play at the Naval Academy, and Cody, kind of take me through what happened during the recruiting process uh, for Marcus. Didn't play a ton as a senior due to injury, but always someone who showed uh, he could probably play at the next level.
1: Yeah, I mean, he uh, started getting the looks. I think early in his junior year, um, you know, he played on that team with uh, AC White now at Old Dominion. Um, AC White got a lot of the attention and uh, deservedly so. And um, but Marcus started, you know, getting getting some looks there, started opening some eyes. And throughout that year, he slowly started getting that Division One interest. And um, it was actually last February, about this time, he was sitting sitting there. He wasn't on the Harrisburg basketball team. He was sitting in the stands, um, you know, watching as a fan. And he got a text. Um, from Napoleon Sykes, the outside linebackers coach at Navy. Um, it was the first Division I offer for him, and uh, he, he told me yesterday, he said that that just kind of stuck through through the whole process. And, you know, he, he went throughout that year. He got a couple more offers, um, Elon, Campbell, Air Force, uh, VMI among, among them. And, um, but Navy just always seemed to stick out, um, always seemed to communicate with him the most. And so as he we went into his senior year, you know, he, he – comes into the year and he's excited to really maybe get some more offers maybe at a higher level. Um, fractures his fibula in the benefit game right before the start of the regular season. Um, it forced out for the first five games of the year and it really just kind of threw a wrench in his plans. Um, Navy stuck by his side and yesterday uh, he, he decided to finally make it official and went ahead and signed with them. And I think it's a it's a great choice, a great fit for a guy who you know it, is looking to really make an impact at the next level.
0: Navy down last year under Ken Niumatalolo, who's been there forever. <laughs> uh, triple option offense. How do you kind of see him fitting into that style of play? What they do at Navy, and I, I guess in your conversations with with Marcus, what was his feeling about how the program did this this past season?
1: Well, he said he thinks uh he has a chance to go in there and play early and that probably is in part due to the success or the lack of success here recently for Navy um you know he, he said he's been told he can come in there and compete for a job early and I think with the type of runner he is I think that that offense will fit him really well he he's got really good vision um he's not necessarily going to going to blow you away with the speed but he's got enough to pull away if he gets past the first line of the defense um so you know i think he has a chance i i, I talking to harrisburg coach chris thurman yesterday he he said he said that you know At at any level, you know, these guys, when they go off to college, it's an adjustment, and and how they handle that adjustment is the biggest thing. And so I think how he handles seeing guys who are just as fast and just as big as him at that level will be, you know, if he can get past his first couple of weeks and make those adjustments, I think he has a chance. um, You know, how early he gets playing time is to be determined, but um, I think he's definitely got the build and the skill set to to make an impact at that level. He just showed what
0: that that blue-gray classic game uh, the All-Star game down in Dallas that that he could play with some with some other kids of of pretty high caliber play.
1: Yeah, yeah. For, uh, actually, midway through the first quarter, um, he he catches the pass, a little screen pass out in the flats, and uh, gets past a couple defenders and ended up going about twenty six yards to the to the end zone for the score. Um, you know, they, there wasn't many touchdowns scored that game, and that was one of them. So, you know, a sign that he, you know, he he's a good football player. And uh, I, like I said, like you said, he, he was playing against some pretty good players down there, and I think he's got a chance at the next level. I I, I know I didn't see him a ton this past fall. Uh, because he was
0: injured, and yeah, I'm not out at every, every high school game each week like you are, uh, but I just remember seeing him as a junior, being impressed uh, with his skill set. Uh, another running back that's impressed me when, I, when I've covered high school games on Friday night is Jawan Evans, uh, the East Rock star. Uh, he has offers to play college football. Uh, did not sign yesterday. Him as, as well as teammate Darius Brown, a wide receiver uh, for the Eagles. What's going on with those two, and and kind of where where could they end up uh, when when all is said and done?
1: Yeah, that's they're, they're, that's kind of the the um, the biggest question mark right now around the, the recruits. You know, there's not a lot of Division one talent around here, so guys like Marcus Robinson, Jenkins, and Jay Wan, I mean, they stand out. You know, as soon as you see them on the field, and um, you know, so wan has been going through the, through these offers. He uh, Moorhead State was one of the offers he had. Um, Glenville State. A couple others. Howard was one of the first ones. Um, I think when Mike London left Howard to go join William and Mary staff, or, at, or as the head coach, when he did that, that kind of changed things with Howard. So Morehead State and Glenville State have been the, the two that I've heard most recently. Um, there's there's been rumors and some different things floating around about Richmond coming into play with Jaywon. Um You know that that's something that I think if that comes into play, I think that's one that he certainly has to has to take into account. Um, but right now, you know, I think that he's just weighing out his options. He's he's got a lot of different stuff going on. Um, he, I just talked to him recently for a story I was doing, and he, he just said he's kind of taking his time. He's a guy that, you know, he's, he's not worried about anyone else. He, uh, he made that very clear. He's, he said he's on his own time, and when, when he feels like he's ready to make that decision, he's going to make it, he's not, you know, he did, he wasn't going to force it. And so, um, you know, I can easily see him and Darius Brown ending up at Glenville State. Um, They've got the former quarterback, Jalen McNair, from East Rock. They've got the receiver, Javon Butler, from East Rock. They've got an assistant coach who's also related to Jalen McNair and Tyce McNair and all those guys. So th- there's a lot of East Rock connections within the Glenville State program. And um, I, I think that logically that, that, that makes the most sense in the end. Um, but like I said, you, when you throw in the Richmond factor and then anytime you have a Division One offer from a te- team like Moorhead State, um, you know, it's, it doesn't happen very often for kids around here, so I think you, you've got to consider it if you're Jaywan. And then, you know, for Darius, his first offer came from Glenville State. Um, whether any more comes, you know, who knows? It's a little late in the process, but uh, he seems to be taking his time, too. Maybe he's considering some Division three schools. I know schools like Bridgewater and, you know, Shenandoah, some of those schools have been interested, too. So, um, yeah, I think those guys are just taking their time. They, they, they went really late in the football season. They didn't get done until December, so a lot of time where the other guys were maybe – you know, they had time to talk to these college coaches. Those guys were on the field still playing. So
0: yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. When you're when you're playing for state championships and trying to get there, uh, you know, it's recruiting takes a little bit of a backseat uh, for 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 those who have offers and, and are that lucky to play at the next level. Uh, so that's kind of what's going on locally with the top high school football uh, prospects in the area. Uh, of course, Marcus Robinson Jenkins, the headliner, uh, signed Wednesday night with Navy at an event at the Golden Corral. Uh, so
1: it was a Cody. You were there, right? I was. Yes. Yeah. There was. I was actually seated right in front of the salad bar.
0: <laughs> so there you go. Nothing. You know, running backs they can eat whatever they want. <laughs> us, us writers, we, we got to hit the salad bar. So there, there's there's an underlying message uh, in, in in there. As far as what went on at the Division I level with James Madison? Uh, the Dukes finished off their recruiting class by signing five on Wednesday, including three, a trio from Good Counsel High School in Alney, Maryland, Julio Ayamo, a linebacker, Jalen Green, a defensive lineman, uh, and Latrell Palmer, a running back. I caught up with each of those three, and our high school coach, Andy Stefanelli, uh, from Good Counsel, just kind of about why all three ended up at JMU. It's, it's very rare. Uh, that that you get teammates uh, to go to the same college. Uh, it's even more rare when you get three teammates uh, to, to go. you talking so that that's it was it was big reason why James Madison was able to finish strong and and solidify the class. Eight of the eight of the thirteen were signed in December during the early signing period. The other five came yesterday. So that's that's what JMU is looking like. There's seven on offense or seven on defense, excuse me, seven defensive prospects that the Duke signed. Six on offense uh, to play for new coach Kurt Signetti, who had to really kind of stabilize some things uh, as as the Dukes went under some coaching changes uh, with Mike Houston departing for East Carolina uh, and Signetti coming in from Elon. Uh, but he was able to do that as JMU finished strong they also in the process added a player uh, that that you're familiar with a little bit Cody and Kevin Curry Jr. a wide receiver from John Hanley High School Uh, the judges one of the great nicknames uh, especially around here one of the great nicknames in the area the John Hanley judges Uh, Curry had I think 13 touchdowns last year uh, 60 catches uh, if I'm remembering correctly uh, he's going to be on a partial scholarship to JMU, uh, but you're familiar because they they had a tussle with Harrisonburg, right?
1: Yeah, they did. They played Harrisonburg, I believe, in uh, week two, um, and Harrisonburg actually led for most of the game. Um, and Curry had a an un- I wasn't there, but you know, reading about it and, and hearing from from the different reporters that were down there and hearing from Coach Thurman when they got back, um, Curry made an unbelievable catch late in that game that gave um, Hanley the win, and and just coming back, Thurman, Coach Thurman from Harrisburg was just very high, he just spoke very highly of Curry and, and how much he was just such a mismatch problem for Harrisonburg, and, and, and Harrisburg actually had some pretty good cornerbacks this year, Austin White and, and Victor Lynch and some of those guys, a bunch of all-region guys, but um, Curry just gave them fits uh, all day, and, and really, I think that was the difference in that game. Um, you know, Harrisburg had a couple turnovers in that game, but Curry was really the the big standout there, and and I j- just remember, you know, how much Coach Thurman spoke of how big of a mismatch he was for them, and really that how big of a problem he was all, all the game long. Yeah,
0: so that, that that's a nice get for the Dukes because they were that were without a wide receiver up until last week, uh, when Signetti was able to flip Curry, who who was going to go on a full ride to Division II Concord, our scholarship to Division II Concord to. Uh, The partial scholarship offer from JMU. He gets to stay close to home, which is something he told me he wanted to do. Uh, So, a nice get for JMU. So, just to run through the recruiting class, uh, you got a linebacker, you got two linebackers, Julio Ayamal and. Tarish Jones, who signed in December. He's from IC Norcom down in Portsmouth. Uh, you got one tight end, Hunter Bullock, uh, in South Carolina. He's an early enrollee, along with Shelby, North Carolina cornerback, Darian Davis, who was the first commit in the class. Uh, and then you got Austin Douglas, CJ Jackson. And, of course, Latrell Palmer, three running backs. And then to go along with Jalen Green on the defensive line, uh, you got Sean Johns and Carlo Jones. Carlo Jones, one of the signees uh, from yesterday. Jordan White is the lone safety in the class. And Tanner Morris uh, from Terry Sanford High School, the same high school that produced uh, current Duke's defensive tackle, Parrish Black, is the lone offensive lineman in the class. So that's kind of how signing day went around the Shenandoah Valley. I now kind of want to flip gears and transition to high school hoops because it's that time uh, where district tournaments, state tournaments, everything starts to heat up a little bit. Before we, we start breaking down the brackets and, and looking at what's next, past couple weeks, East Rock and Spots would have met. They're, they won't see each other in a postseason. Uh, but kind of a nice litmus test, I guess, for those two squads uh, to find out you know, if, if there's going to be a successful run coming here uh, in February and into March.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're talking about the, those two games between the two teams separated by just one week. They played on uh, Wednesday uh, two weeks ago, and then they played last Wednesday again. Um, the first matchup in Elkton, one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen um, in high school basketball around this area. Um, you know, Spotswood comes in. They they kind of look like that Big Brother role. They kind of. They punish East Rock inside. Um, you know East Rock's freshman Tyler Nickel. You know these guys who haven't really been on that stage before. You could see it, and you know you could see the atmosphere just kind of morphed them a little bit. And Spotswood, you know, looked like that team that had been been on that big stage multiple times. And you know, I thought that whole game Spotswood never really looked threatened. They looked like the better team, and then you know they come back a week later, and East Rock, you know, completely flipped the script. And you know Dalton Jefferson just goes off with 20 points, 10 rebounds, 10 block shots, and. You know, you don't see this kind, of, those kind of stat lines around this area. So, East Rock kind of comes back and flips the script, and you know, the debate has been, and since then, you know, who's the better team? And I, I really don't think you can say at this point. I mean, I really, it's one of those one and one a situations because they, they, they've had two even games, um, but East Rock one by six, spots with one by eight. Um, it's one of those things. I think you need like a best of seven series. I tweeted that out last week, and that was halfway joking, but, I mean, really that's the only way to decide who's the better team between those two. And I think the, the main message that you got out of that, the, that series right there was that both of those teams are destined for a, a deep postseason run um, in their respective classes, uh, Spotswood in Class 3 and East Rock in Class 2.
0: When, when, when you look at East Rock, you look at Spotswood, are they the favorites as these district tournaments begin? East Rock in the Shenandoah and Spotswood, of course, in the Valley District.
1: Oh, absolutely. In the, in the districts, I don't think there's any question. Um, you know, it, it, in East Rock's case, they're the favorite uh, far and away. I mean, they, they've Dominated through league play. Um, you know, the only team that even posed them a challenge was Wilson a couple of times, and they're the number five seed, and they played them tight. And Wilson, and actually in their most recent, Wilson was Wilson was leading them at nine and a half, and um, East Rock had fifty-seven second half points. So you know, I just it's hard to see them being challenged at all in the Shenandoah District. Um, they would have to have a really bad night shooting or. You know something weird would have to happen um for spotswood you could you could say broadway maybe maybe it'll challenge them a little bit um you know they, they've played them tough at times they had a double-digit lead the last time they played in pen laird and uh eventually gave it up and lost by 18 or 19 but um i think both of those teams they're too deep they're too talented in their starting lineup and you know until i see something otherwise from some of these other teams it's hard to see either of them losing in district play
0: yeah that's interesting and gonna be Front to watch kind of play out over the next couple of weeks before you get into the state tournaments uh, other teams you think in the area are there any others that could make a state tournament uh, in in this in in either in either district
1: yeah I mean if if you look at the valley district um, they send three teams to the region I think if any team that was going to make a, a run through the region out of the valley other than spotswood I think Broadway has a chance on um, Broadway they, they've got some depth they've got um, some they've got a strong front court with uh, Seth Com and Ben Aldifer, and then Caleb Williams, a junior I wrote about two weeks ago. He's really emerged in the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, some of the some of the coaches around the district have told me they think he might be the best player in the area. He's he's that good. Um, so you know, with him kind of coming up and as a junior and stepping into that role, and then you add in some of those seniors who have been around for a while, I think they've got a chance. Um, I don't know if they can beat Spotswood, but I think both of those teams could go into regional play and make some noise. Um, you know, Broadway's shown that at tournaments throughout the year. And in terms of the Shenandoah, you know, you look at East Rock, and outside of them, I think it's just a big mess. You've got you've got draft you've got Wilson, you've got Ari Lee, um, Page County, even uh, all of these teams have played well at times this year. Um, you know, Riverheads will move over to Class One once regional play starts, which always throws things out of. Out of whack, but you know, I think four or five teams there. They they send four to regionals, so you have got a lot of chances there to make a run. Um, The Bull Run district traditionally hasn't been uh, great in basketball on the boys or girls side. So if you can get to regional side of the Shenandoah, usually you have a chance to make it to the states just by virtue of being one of the teams because the Bull Run has been that bad in recent years. Interesting. What about on the girls side? Uh, the same two schools that are, that are your favorites? Yeah. Well, you look at the Valley. Spotswood girls are far and away the favorite. Kind of like the Eastrop boys. The Spotswood girls have just dominated. They're they were twenty and one overall. Their only loss came to a team um, in a tournament up in New York last weekend. Uh, so they so they really they're undefeated against teams in the state of Virginia. Um, they didn't win a, a district game by anything less than nineteen points, and that was in their last district game of the year. All their other games were won by twenty seven points or more. Um, you know, Spotsway is just so far a- above all the other teams right now that th- they're not going to be challenged in the district tournament. Um, likely won't be challenged in the regional tournament, so they're primed for another state run for sure. Um, it, it's something weird would have to happen for them not to make it. Um, you know, Chris Dodson has built a tremendous program over there, and, you know, they're they're just – they're really – they're set up for, in a good spot. Um, you look at the other city county teams, Broadway, TA, Harrisonburg um, – all teams, young teams who have made progress throughout the year, um, Broadway could sneak into regional play by the th- in the third spot, but I don't see any of those teams making a particularly long run. Uh, then you go over to Shenandoah, um, East Rock once again as one of the top teams, but the difference is they have Page County there. Um, those two teams are playing tonight uh, in a one-game playoff. Um, you know, that for the number one seed in the tournament. They're far and away the two best teams in Shenandoah, but you've got teams like Storch Draft, uh, Wilson Memorial, Page, or Luray, East, uh, Buffalo Gap, all those teams um, have shown the ability to beat some of the other top teams in that district. So I really think that tournament is one where we could see more upsets. We could see teams go down early. Um, the biggest thing for East Rock and Page is getting those top two seeds and getting the home court advantage throughout not only district play, but then they get the, by virtue of that they get it throughout regional play. Um, And if they can do that, then again, I think, you know, once you face those bull run teams, I think they have another, you know, East Rock could slide in as a fourth team, possibly from the area going to the state tournament. So,
0: Well, Cody, good good stuff on that as the high school hoops uh, really starts to kick it into gear. But we'll transition right now and talk a little college hoops uh, with Shane Metlin, uh, the JMU men's and women's hoops beat writer. We'll also touch on some lacrosse okay shane let's begin with this the men's team the jmu men they sit right now at 10 and 14 overall three and eight in the caa with with seven regular season games left to play Uh, it was a 104 95 win this past saturday at uncw uh, to break what was a five game losing streak Uh, at this point kind of what what chance do you give jmu to build off that win and maybe go on a run and finish the regular season strong heading into the CAA tournament.
2: You know, they got Towson coming up this weekend, and that's, uh, you know, when you look at the schedule ahead of time, that's one of those games that you kind of look at as one they should win, that they they should be able to sweep the team like Towson for the season, but playing on the road has been so difficult for them this year. Uh, You can't really count uh, anything, um, take anything for granted, Gone so far this season, but you know, if you look at the schedule. It seems like it's a possibility they could, you know, reel off, you know, a couple victories in a row
0: here. Why? Why have they not played so so well on the road? What have you heard in talking with Coach Rowe, uh, Lewis Rowe, and then also the players? Uh, what's kind of their take? Is is why why they just haven't been able to get it going?
2: Um, you know, they're young is one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. And I talked about this, you know, with somebody else the other day. A lot of the teams they're playing, they've got their seniors who are their leaders and they're filling in the gaps with, you know, some freshmen and sophomores and stuff. And JMU for the most part, you know, outside of you know, stucky Mosley, they're asking their sophomores to carry the load for them, be their leaders and everything. And they haven't played a ton of college basketball games yet at this point. Um, it's also just been kind of a a brutal road schedule for them. So far, like over the holidays and things, uh, their travel was kind of a nightmare. Getting to Detroit for a Thanksgiving tournament, and they played. Um, they took a trip up to Fordham around Christmas time, and I know that like just didn't go particularly well from a travel standpoint. They spent, I think, three hours on a bus just sitting in traffic in the city all one day, like trying to get to these some tourist things and. It just, uh, it's been a tough road for them as far as traveling to O.S.A. The schedule wasn't very heavy with home games in the non-conference this year because they kind of backloaded all their uh, contracts with teams to get them in and have a full home slate when the new arena opens. So, you know, there's been a lot of things like that. And then they started out conference play with some uh, relatively tough you know, road games. Uh, playing at Delaware is a pretty tough one. I mean, that's one that can make a lot of difference home or away. Uh, they've only played at Charleston. Um, but at the same time, they've got to go two Northeastern and two Hofstra here still. I know they're going to be, you know, arguably the two toughest conference games they'll play all year. So there's, there's some challenges ahead of them still, too.
0: Yeah, no, nah, I, I, I get that for sure. What do you, what do you think this group has done well this year is as Lou is kind of trying to mold a a younger group and what most of them are in their second season with the program but what what do you think they've done well as as this year's kind of gone along and uh, are there things to kind of build off of and then you see as bright spots for the program uh, that can help them as as they get ready for 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 year three for a lot of these kids in the the program and then also uh, when you look ahead to that first season uh, in the new building the defensive intensity has been pretty consistent.
2: They, you know, that's Lou thing, too. He's always been a defensive coach, and um, they've played pretty well defensively all year. They've had times where they just couldn't put the ball in the basket. But, uh, you know, even in those games, you know, you look at, you know, the field goal percentage they're holding in some games like uh, George Mason and Old Dominion, too, early in the season, you know, games that they lost. They weren't even – I mean, the George Mason game was close – until the end, but um open really pulled away from them. But they you know, they just couldn't put the ball in the basket. They held up to, you know, pretty low field goal percentages in those games that they brought the defense pretty much all year and they've mixed in some different things. Like they you know, they'll occasionally bring out a full court trap or they went to a zone the other day and they respond to, you know, basically whatever who asks them to do defensively. It's just really been a struggle on offense a lot of times. Yeah, for,
0: for for sure. How do you how do you assess the rest of the league at this point? And I know their their nation longest uh, winning streak came to an end, but is Hofstra uh, kind of the clear cut favorite and, and class of the league to to go to the NCAA tournament? I think
2: so. I mean, they you know will have to like really fall off and not get the uh, number one seat in the conference tournament here. Uh, they got still got a two game lead with you know seven to go. Uh, so if they take care of business, they're gonna have the top seed, which will be an advantage going into the tournament. But, you know, you look at Charleston, they've been up and down, but you can certainly picture them putting together a good weekend and being able to win the GA tournament. Northeastern is kind of the same way. Um, even Delaware, they're sort of a Jekyll and high team, but they've got so much talent with their one-two punch. You know, Eric Carter and Ryan Allen. You know, Jim, you saw that. Those guys combined for, I think, like, 50 some points when they played JNU, um, you know, if those guys were really hot for, you know, a three day stretch, I can see Delaware even being able to uh, advance out of this league. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be like an interesting thing to watch with Hofstra. They had that long winning streak. Um, they don't have the greatest strength of schedule. So, if they happen to get knocked off the tournament, it'll be interesting to see if they have any shot at it at large bid.
0: That makes sense. You'll you'll make the two and a half, three hour trip up to Towson this weekend. Uh, kinda of what's your expectations for JMU in a game and uh, what do you think they have to do in order in order to leave there with a victory? Uh, it's gonna be a completely different game than their last one at UNCW.
2: Um, yeah, Steve Stevie McGrath, you know, he's a Roy Williams protege and you could tell in that game the way it was just uh grabbing the ball out of the net as soon as the best baskets made and getting up and down the court both teams kind of were and um, wasn't a ton of defense being played which was just a little bit uncharacteristic for um, JMU but they were able to but uh, UNT Wilmington was able to kind of set the pace in that one JMU matched them you know bucket for bucket for the most part and came with victory Towson's gonna be completely different they basically turn into a rock fight every time out um, with the game at, at JMU here in Harrisonburg that was a uh, Pretty ugly game in the first half in particular, like Jamie just did not play well. They came out, kind of settled uh, down and were able to handle the physicality a little more in the second half and came out with a victory. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they're a little bit more ready for that style and just the change of pace there this time around.
0: Well, I guess the men have struggled. You could say the complete opposite about the women. They really haven't struggled this year, 16-4 and overall. Eight and one, the JME women uh, in the CAA, are they gonna win out with, with nine left? Kind of, what's your assessment there? I know you're around the women's team uh, pretty much as mu- as much as you are around the men's team.
2: Yeah, they are. Um, when they're cooking, they're really good. They are just when they're hitting on all cylinders, they're essentially dominant in this conference. Um, but they've had you know a handful of games too where they haven't played particularly well. They haven't like just come out quite as sharp and you know some of those have turned into losses like um, you know I they definitely would like to have that Hampton game back. Uh, Wake Forest is one where they didn't play great, uh, didn't rebound the way they typically do and, you know, ended up with a close loss. Those are some games they probably wish they could have back. And you talk about, you know, Ostra and what happens to them if they don't win the the CAA tournament. So the J women are in a similar situation. They've got a very impressive record but so they miss some opportunities like that game at Wake Forest to uh, probably boost, you know, a uh, at-large resume. But you know when they're when they're hit on all cylinders, they're really tough for any other CAA team to beat. Um, and you know what maybe is turning point, you know, this last week is they had one of those games where they didn't play their best. You know, Towson women like their men; they kind of like to uh, you know gum it up and. Slow down and you really use their physicality to, uh, you know, keep themselves in the game. And you know, JMU didn't play their best, you know, going against a team like that. But they came out with a victory, so I kind of view that as, you know, another step forward for them. Where you know they're going to have those games every once in a while where they're not, you know, 100 sharp. But you know the difference between that and earlier in the season was they actually won that game against a pretty
0: decent team. Yeah, and then Ta- that Towson program is giving them trouble. Uh, in, in in recent years, uh, on the women's side, uh, when you when you look offensively, Kamaya Small she she leads the team, 18.2 points per game. But they've got they've got two others, uh, Barrier Benitez averaging double figures as well. How how is that balanced offensively? Uh, kind of help them, and and does it does it does it make it a drastic challenge? Uh, kind of for their opponents to, to guard multiple weapons uh when, when JMU's kind of shooting well with, with a couple of different girls on the team.
2: Yeah, when when you mentioned, you know, Jackie Benitez and Lexi Barrier, when when they're shooting well, that's when JMU was really tough to beat. Like that Towson game we were just talking about, they came out in a box of one on Kamaya and basically were just conceding the open shots in the corner to those two. And they weren't so was making them early in the game. Um, and, you know, if they were, you know, you kinda of figure they would have had to come out of that box and one and play it more straight up and then that would have allowed, you know, out Small to do pretty much anything she wanted to. Like well what's pretty amazing about her is you look at the leading scorers in the conference, um, she's I think third in the conference right now, like said eighteen point two points a game, but as a guard she is leading the conference with field goal percentage. Which you don't see guards do that very often and that's so her efficiency compared to you know, some of the other high schoolers in the conference is just crazy. And, you know, if the other players on the team take a little pressure off of her, you know, Devin Merritt sometimes can, you know, get going in the paint. Um, that really opens things up and makes JNU really tough to guard.
0: Last thing I want to touch on with you JMU lacrosse, the defending national champs, they open this weekend. Hard to believe spring sports are already starting, but JMU lacrosse they open at number two North Carolina on Saturday in Chapel Hill at 3 p.m. Uh, you 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 were around a team last year. Uh, you were around a team uh, so far in a preseason. How how does this year's squad, I guess, compare uh, to last year's national championship team?
2: They're different. Um, they had. Um, a really outstanding senior class last year, especially offensively. Their attack um, with uh, Kristen Gaudian was, you know, candidate for the National Player of the Year. Um, Katie Kerrigan was kind of like the unsung hero of that team. She had, I think, some assists last year. It was a pretty crazy number. Um, they're going to miss players like that. Uh, they're going to ask a lot more of, you know, returning seniors like Hannah Haven to do, you know, she was kind of more of just a shooter last year. They're going to ask her to kind of run the show um, with the ball. Um, but, you know, they have a, an experienced defense coming back, and they, you know, played some exhibitions. Uh, I guess the, you know, U.S. national team, you know, had some – it was really a loaded squad with, uh, you know, Kristen McGotty, and, like we mentioned before, um, some of the best players in the world really and uh, they held their own with that I think they ended up losing that goal in that exhibition uh, but they had some more up and down things in the fall season uh, I know a couple of the players mentioned to me they were not happy with a, a loss to UVA in an exhibition but uh are scrimmage but you know I think they're capable of you know making another run this year maybe you know what I call the national championship favorites at this point I and mean, maybe not but um you know they're going to be uh, in the national conversation again.
0: Thoughts, thoughts on Saturday's game. They always open with UNC, uh, so it's not an unfamiliar opponent. Uh, how, how do you kind of assess Saturday's game uh, when you look at the Dukes wanting to get off on the right foot?
2: Yeah, I mean I'm sure uh, you know Tar Heels are going to be amped up for this game, Jim. You beat them twice last year, including in the uh, national semifinals. Um, and I think the first game, the season opener last year, I believe was in overtime victory for JMU, so, you know, the intensity level I'm sure is going to be high, um, you know, it'll be kind of a matter of, you know, like I said, JMU kind of working some new bases in and new people in different roles, even if they played a lot last year, but uh, with JMU, I didn't even mention, you know, Molly Doherty, the, gar- the uh, goalie, who has been playing with the U.S. senior national team, she's one of the youngest players to do that, um, you know, she's definitely the potential, you know, all-American type player goal is if you have somebody who just doesn't allow the other team to get get points, you know, you're always gonna be in the game.
0: So James Madison lacrosse gets going on Saturday at UNC and that's not the only spring sport that'll get going. You got college baseball, uh, as well JMU Uh, baseball, softball, they both open next week. The Dukes baseball team, they'll be home in Harrisonburg uh, for three games against Norfolk State. Uh, The the softball team is is going on one of their uh, tournament trips, uh, but the baseball team is home, and and we've already had some stories I've written about Kevin Kelly, the Dukes' ace. Uh, So they'll start, Bridgewater baseball will start, but the first baseball team that'll be in action is Eastern Mennonite, which has a doubleheader on Saturday, uh, against North Carolina Wesleyan. So they'll travel south, play a doubleheader Saturday, and a single game on Sunday. And I thought with them kind of kicking off or, or starting. Uh, the spring season, I would catch up with Eastern Mennonite baseball coach, manager, skipper, whatever you want to call him, Ben Spots. So I caught up with Ben Spots, learned a little bit about his team and, and expectations for the Royals. First doubleheader on Saturday. We'll start with this. How's, how's practice been so far for, for you guys and what you're doing here at, at EMU? Oh, it's going well. I mean, certainly the weather can be challenges at times,
3: um, but we've been able to make it work with uh, like a lot of places, a lot of small school programs. You're in the gym. Most places now have a turf field at some point, so you can get on the turf field and do some work. So, um, you know, I think it hasn't really inhibited us being ready to play this weekend, um, but this little warm weather we've had this week, I think, has been uh, made everyone in the Valley excited for springtime, but uh, it's helped dry our field out so we can start to get on it and hit, and we're going to inter squad on it today. So, um, you know, as we get ready to head down and, uh, and play three games this weekend, I think that the weather hasn't really been uh, too much of a prohibited us from getting ready to play, and uh, I think guys are at that point now at the end of three weeks ready to play. What's
0: what's the pressures of playing early? Because it's like the guys come back from Christmas break, and then all of a sudden they're in a practice, and all of a sudden you, you get out on a field and you, you go play. There's, there's, there's no real, real waiting around in, in college baseball.
3: Well, no, I mean, certainly one of those things that a lot of times if you're going to play – in this time of year in virginia and we pushed the envelope a little bit with the weather because we play our home opener on the 16th okay. um but we're going to try to go south so when you're going south you're playing teams that are typically not inside and don't face some of the weather challenges so i feel like they can hit the when they start their preseason practice they're probably you know having a mid practice as far as you know what they're what they're doing and being on the field they're not inside so that's always been one of the things when you head south you got to kind of get yourself ready to play uh even though you haven't done some things at game speed but the other thing too is, you know, you tell your guys, look, come back from Christmas break. You better be ready to roll. Your pitchers better have their arms in shape, and because uh, there is a learning curve early as far as hitters trying to adjust to pitching and so forth. But your pitchers, the biggest thing is making sure they're in shape when they come back. And uh, I'm fortunate, our guys have always done what they needed to, and I don't think it's slowed us down as far as um, you know trying to get ready to play.
0: What What are this year's team's strengths? Uh, how do you kind of assess that uh, as you're you're getting ready for that first for that first one?
3: <laughs> well, I would say this: we are. You know, we were very young last year, so we're still very young this year, but we actually have a lot of experience for young guys. Um, So I think when you look at that position player-wise, I mean, I think we're looking at, at, uh, you know, six or seven sophomores getting significant playing time with, you know, uh, a junior and then two seniors. So when you think about, you know, a bulk of your offense and a bulk of guys position player-wise, is sophomore heavy? Um, with the combination of two seniors and a junior. And I think uh, – but the, but the difference was, you know, we, we were in the same boat last year. They just didn't have any experience. So a lot of those guys got chances to play last year and stuff. And I think, um, you know, was, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly – we will certainly will not feel like we're starting quite where we did a year ago, but we are still young. Um, but I think the strengths are, I think we're very athletic. Um, you know, I think in the guys we brought in our program here have been good baseball players with some skills that had to adjust to the college game. At the same time, um, you know, we've got good, spe- good team speed and good athleticism position player-wise. So those are things that we're going to try to lean upon um, as some strengths for us. You think on the mound, like anything in baseball, it's certainly a trying to figure some things out early. Um, But we do have a couple guys that have been in our program for several years now and I think uh, have contributed and will continue to lean upon heavily for, for innings, whether it's starters or relievers. So I think that's what our biggest question mark is heading down, is trying to put guys in the right roles and see what guys respond. And, you know, as I tell our team here, you know, the biggest thing for us is to try to get some questions answered and get guys in the right roles um, before your conference play and, and ODAC starts for us. I think we've got uh, 16 games to kind of get some things ironed out and, and see what, where we're at as a club before those conference opener.
0: How much will you lean on the two pitchers, uh, Hall, Hall, and Brewer, as, as, as you get as you start to get your team acclimated?
3: Well, I think what what gives us um, you know a level of comfort, particularly try to sort our bullpen out, is I've got three guys that have started for us and done well, and uh, Bailey Hall, Ryan Brewer, and John Judy. Um, so there's a senior and two juniors who have started for us and done well in our program and had success. And I think uh, so that part makes it easier to say, well, i got the front end of the games covered. Um, you know, you get into a four-game week, you have to figure some things out. But I've got three guys that have started for us and have had success and um, understand what they got to do to be successful. And I think the other thing, too, that for us that that is unique is, you know, I've got some veteran guys in the bullpen. Some of those guys didn't get opportunities to pitch much their first two years, but as juniors um, or seniors now, opportunity has, has come along. So, you know, I look at a guy like Michael Wilhite, Um, who really has two years of development in our program with the last last year as a junior and this year is a guy that we leaned upon heavily out of the bullpen and he's continued to develop and and made great strides and um, you know you got some other guys like Spencer Layton and DJ Williams and Jonathan Nagel's a sophomore and 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 guys that have done good things in our program Um, and uh, but now they're just going to get more and
0: more opportunities as, as guys have graduated moved on so I'm hopeful they'll step into those roles. Last year you guys went through that, that tough 12-game skid. <laughs> uh, you also had some highs at the end of the mm-hmm. season with walk-off wins, which seemed like every day for, for, yeah. for a little bit there. Uh, what do what those two experiences do for – guys that are kind of just learning the college game as, as they enter their second season with you guys?
3: Well, I'll tell you this, and, I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and and I've been um, – you know, we go to a 12-game losing skid last year, and it, it was challenging, but I only say it was challenging because you didn't know when the next – when you were going to get that W to break it. At the same time, it never felt – that um, beat down and and lack of energy and frustrating because I had young guys that were just excited to play and were learning, and I think we really, as a coaching staff, did a good job framing it that, hey, look, we're going to learn on a run here, and there's no greater teacher than experience. And, um, you know, as I told them at some point, I'm going to come asking, you know, for you to cash your chips in, and that time's not now. So we're continuing to learn as much as we could last year. And I think our guys worked hard. They played hard. They had great energy, um, very coachable during that stretch. And it was great, though, to see that the way our season ended, that to uh, you know to have three straight walk-off wins on a home run, which I told those guys you'll never see that again in my opinion, and to enjoy that energy and what it did for our program and how it kind of gave us a chance to be playing on the last weekend of the season with a chance still to get to the conference tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, to, so that was a good experience for us. And I think what that did was get guys to understand that uh, – Being coachable, working hard, learning on the fly as we did last year, that there was a payoff on the back end that I think gave us great momentum and great energy and great focus um, as guys went into summer to play summer baseball and then came back in the fall with that excitement. And it's only continued to to, to carry itself through our preseason here as we get ready to get started. So, uh, you know, it was frustrating when it happened, but you know what? I never felt beat down or tired from it, and our players didn't because their attitudes were so
0: good. and, And it was exciting to see how it ended, though. I know the end goal for you guys is always to get to that ODAC tournament. Uh, what's it? What's it gonna take this year? And, and you've been in the ODAC a long time. How, do, how does this year's ODAC look compared to compared to years past?
3: Well, I continue to say that. Um, yeah, I, I personally think it's the toughest conference in Division III baseball. And there's some other ones out there that may, that may compete for that. But I think top to bottom, when you look at the commitment to facilities, to staffing. Um, you know, just to the, the institutions all very, very similar academically. Um, and just the level of commitment that these schools made has is, is certainly forced people to uh, to compete at a high level in this league. And our, <laughs> this league is no different this year. I think it's certainly got some really good teams. but I think one of the things that I think is exciting about this league, and I'll give other credit, coaches credit in the league when we get together or when just talking to them is that they know the bottom team can beat the top team because the gap's not that big. Um, and I think that's really exciting for our league and the level of play that we have. And, uh, you know, I think for our success this year is, you know, probably threefold. And any coach may say this, but certainly, you know, we've got to be able to pitch it and give ourselves a chance. And I think, uh, you know, the, the biggest depth and the biggest challenge would be consistency and whether that's on the starting part of our, of our, of our staff or whether it's, you know, particularly on the bullpen. And I think a lot of times the success in this league is like anybody would say is your bullpen because everyone's running pretty good starters out there. And uh, what can you do when that starter you know caps out at you know, six or seven innings? And what can you do on the back end of the game? And I think the good teams have guys they have answers for and consistency. So can we find that consistency on the mound? Um, you know, I don't doubt those guys will compete for us and have a plan when they go out there. But can we be consistent in what we do? And then I think the other two things that will play in our success is, you know, defensively, can we just be make the routine play and not give our opponents extra outs or extra chances? And then finally, offensively, you know, we're not going to be a big bopping team. Um, but we are athletic and can run, so can we really just be tough and competitive at the plate, put the ball in play, and let our speed take over? And, um, you know, if, if we can get, you know, guys who can put together good at bats consistently, I think it'll give us a chance to, uh, to be in ball games. But certainly, you know, the pitching and defense will be the priority, is what we got to have to be able to do to, to, to compete.
0: Lastly, I have to ask you about Eric Kratz. You're your, your most famous alum. Yeah. Uh, what was it like for, for you guys as a program to watch what he did? Uh, this this past season, really watch what he's done throughout his career, mm-hmm. battling between different organizations, AAA A and the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's kind of just been like for you guys over the past 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 year or so? Well, I mean it's exciting
3: for our program, and I think it's one of the things that there's not many Division Three schools out there that can boast of having a bona fide big leaguer. And even though his path has been um, persistence to to make it happen, what's happened in the last seven or eight years, I think, has been exciting. For, for him and his family and for, um, you know, for our program at EMU. And I think, you know, it was awesome last year what, he, what, what how it went for him last year when he went to Milwaukee. And uh, our guys were excited. And I think what's unique for us um, here is that, um, you know, he works out here. He, you know, he, he hits in the cages. He long tosses with our guys. Um, you know, he lifts in the weight room here. Um, I know Coach Posey and Coach Love, you know, throw BP to him on a regular basis when he needs it and what he wants before he heads out for spring training. So our guys get to see a big leaguer guy work out and see the work ethic he puts into it in the weight room and, you know, the attention to detail he has. I think that's has only helped our guys realize um, what it takes to play at that level. But I think as, as, a, as a proud alumni from here, I will say this about him. He's never forgot where he's come from. And, you know, he reached out to me on the first day of practice. He said, I'd like to like to talk to your team. And, and uh, I said, look, you're welcome anytime." And I know his time is limited and he's going a lot, so you want him to spend as much time with his family. But he he said, I'd like to talk to you guys. And he, he talked to our guys for an hour and a half on our first day of practice. And our guys appreciated that and got to see um, – answer any questions he had and just talked about his experience here at Eastern Mennonite. And, um, you know, it's funny that as much big league baseball as he's played um, – and as much of experience as he's had being a professional player, the the memory his vivid memories of playing each minute night, you know. And that I think that some of the stuff he could talk about, the pitches made, the plays not made, or the experiences they had with the teams that he played with here, I think of all the, the big league baseball and professional he's played, that were right on the tip of his tongue as far as the, his memories here and telling guys to value that experience here, value your friendships, value relationships. And I think it really springboarded off of you know, the opportunity when all those guys that were alumni from Easter Mennonite or, or high school went and visited him and saw him surprise him in Milwaukee this year, which is a couple of those guys were, were EMU alums that he played with. And I think that carried uh, a lot of weight with him and, and excitement and I think really tried to get our guys to understand in the end um, you know, the relationships you have and the friends you have and the teammates you have is the most important thing that you'll get from this experience here. Um, and it was good for just guys to see that human side of it too. But no, Eric's been awesome for our program and is just a great resource for us to have that not many people have
0: at this level. Big thanks to EMU baseball coach Ben Spots for being the first ever guest on the Rocktown Sports Pod. <laughs> uh, EMU baseball, they get going on Saturday, doubleheader at North Carolina Wesleyan. And, and you Jim, I'm going to bring in our sports editor, Jim Sacco, uh, sports editor at the DNR uh, right now. And you heard Spots at the end there make reference to just what an incredible – Run it was for our Kratz there in a the postseason, kind of what he means uh, to their program. Uh, Eric Kratz, he's going to report soon. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday is pitchers and catchers report day for Milwaukee. Uh, what was your take, not only this postseason, but just kind of knowing his backstory story and, and everything that Eric Kratz had been through from D3 EMU. Uh, Bob Weiss will be mad at me if I don't mention the
4: Turks. Mm-hmm, okay. uh, and I think RCBL, he had, too. Had a cup of coffee in the RCBL. I believe he played with Broadway. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh what I like about it is, and we've we talked about this. you know, we're both baseball fans, and when we listen to when we listen to MLB Network on the radio, we text each other back and forth, especially when Mad Dog says something hilarious. But each postseason, it seems like uh, to no fault of the players that they they latch on to someone uh, a good story, which you know we're supposed to do. Uh, and And they just keep talking about it and talking about it. And as a Cubs fan, I got annoyed at some point by David Ross. You know, and it wasn't his fault. And media during the NLCS really latched on to this Eric Kratz story. You know, the, the small-town guy, the Division Three guy, the, the, the first uh, draft pick in, in EMU history. Uh, you know, they, they showed his buddies and they raided his closet and they were up in Milwaukee with all his jerseys from the 9 or 10 organizations he played for. And I never got annoyed by it and I don't know if that was the connection that the little bit of connection that you know that we have, you know, oh we played here in Harrisburg from 1999 to 2002 or whenever and you know he's an EMU guy and I don't know and he lives here in town and I don't know if that played into it but I mean it just was such a good neat little story that this guy was coming on and 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 you know he's played with so many organizations is labeled the, the you know was the prototypical journeyman and just to watch it take place was was it's it was fun and i wasn't annoyed by it. usually i get annoyed by those things and it's just i never got that sense i got the sense of wow this is neat you know and and it might be the connection like i said but it, it was just if you talk to eric you realize just how grounded individual he is he knows what his role is he knows what he is you know he's the 38 year old journeyman and and he knows and he gets it and he he understands the business, and when you talk to him about the business side of baseball, he he knows. I mean, he, he he's not an idiot. He knows it's a business.
0: Well, well, that's that's the thing when I when I talked to him for that story in a paper that I guess it was in last week's one of the last week's papers. Something that he thought or that he said I thought was just so fascinating was uh, when when people would ask, "Oh, you're a thirty eight year old in AAA?" He's like, "Well, there's a lot of thirty one year olds I know." Uh, who, who don't have a job, yeah. uh, that are, that he said are better than him and, and probably more athletic than him, don't have a job. And, and I think he, he saw last year as just something that just kept building. Uh, it was something where uh, he signed on to play with the Yankees in AAA, go go to Scranton. Uh, Milwaukee ends up needing somebody to stabilize the catching spot. Uh, so he gets traded right to the big league club. And then all of a sudden, he, he becomes – you know, a primary platoon player for them at the catching position, and it works well for him and Manny Pena, the other catcher there. And all of a sudden, uh, he, he finds himself in the thick of a pennant
4: race. And that's the perfect town for him. And as a Midwestern guy myself, I mean, a guy like Eric Kratz isn't going to be loved. I mean, I don't know. I don't think a guy like Eric Kratz is going to, you know, the third, you know, is going to be loved in the glitz and glamour of of in pinstripes in New York. Uh, maybe with the Mets, which is more of a blue collar team maybe than the New York Yankees are he's not going to be that popular on the west coast unless he's hitting you know 40 dingers a year he's not going to be you know the toast of the town in San Francisco he's not going to be the toast certainly not going to be the toast town in LA or you know maybe San Diego uh which i'm sure is every baseball player's dream is to the the retire out of San Diego you know not he's not going to do he's not going to be the toast town in Seattle and and you know Colorado Arizona which you know are just you know whatever whatever cities but I mean, in a midwestern town, especially one as blue-collar as Milwaukee, you know, where you know the you know, we call them the beer gut towns, you know, is you know a guy like Eric Kratz, the the beefy catcher uh, with the all shucks attitude. I mean, he's very all shucks. I mean, you know, it, it, almost childlike despite his age. A guy like that is is gonna be talked about and be beloved in a town like Milwaukee, like a Chicago, or like an Indianapolis. If Indianapolis had an, uh, an MLB team, uh, maybe a Cincinnati, certainly a Cleveland. I mean, that guy just screams. Put me in an Indians jersey, really. Uh, it, it's just you know that's that's what he is, and it's just it was just neat to watch, and it was uh, it was just. You know, it was fun. I mean, we're supposed to sit back and not have any, you know, we don't have any rooting interests. You know, we're, we're sitting back, we're watching, and we're seeing what's happening, but at the same point, we're human beings. And that was just cool. I mean, it's okay to say cool. I mean, that was just cool to watch, and it was fun. And I think that when his buddies, his Harrisburg buddies, raided his closet and showed up in the nine, ten different jerseys that the guys wore in the Major League Baseball, all with his last name on it, and when I think it was MLB Network, well, everyone picked it up. But I saw it in MLB Network a bunch of times, where they just showed these guys and and just Eric's just genuine, just I, you know, I don't want to cheese it up by saying love, but I mean there was it was appreciation. Yeah, for it. it was, was just appreciation. Like, wow, look at what you guys did, and it, it was just the. Smi- I'll never forget the smile on on his face to begin with when he saw, but then the smile on theirs. You know, here's these guys who were just watching their buddy playing the bigs in the NLCS for crying out loud. And, and, and it was just the smiles was just, you know, not to go, get all Norman Rockwell on us here, but I'm going to. I mean, that's what, you know, that's why we watch sports. Yeah. You know, just that goodness gracious. And I think you kind of put yourself in their the, their shoes. You know, you put yourselves in those fan shoes. You're like, you know, what if my brother, what if a buddy of mine made it big and I showed up at a game and here he in the NLCS and I'm wearing one of his jerseys? You know, how happy would I would be? And then you put yourself in Eric's shoes. You know, my goodness, what if I was... You know, you know, playing shortstop for the Cubs, and we're in the NLCS, and I look up, and you know, I'm 38 years old, and here's all my buddies and my family wearing all my jerseys, and I haven't seen them in you know the off season. You know, what was my what would my smile be like? What would my reaction be like? And it's just, it was just, you know, sports, man. You know, yeah. I mean, what more can you say about that moment? Yeah, I mean, for for every
0: Harper Machado, yeah. Yeah, so those two names are the ones that I mean, are the hot, you know, hot hot names in re- the we're reading season.
4: about guys now that are waiting for you know, 10 years, 200, 10 years, 300, and and here's a guy who, you know, what he just signed a one year extension for for a, for, for a, 1.2 yeah for one point two million, yeah. which you know, you know is a lot of money, <laughs> but you know in in terms of baseball it's it's nothing, right? And it was just great, and, and I loved it, and I loved every second. of it. I think at anyone, whether you're from Harrisonburg, whether you went to EMU, whether you're you know wherever you went, if you're local and you're listening to this pod. And you watch baseball, I mean, how did that moment not sit with you for long after the, the World Series was done and over with? I mean, forget that the fact that they didn't make it to the series. I mean, you still that just you know just stuck with you.
0: Yeah, it did. And not not to not to harpen the mood a little bit, but he's got a he's got a battle coming up. Uh, no guarantee he'll be he'll be on the Brewers roster come opening day. Uh, so for him to get that far last year, that's quite the accomplishment because he's got Yasmani yeah, Grandal in camp now and Pena's still there. Uh, so that's kind of the next step in all this. When when you'll start looking ahead to 20 2019 and opening day.
4: And what I liked in your story, and again, this goes back to the kind of person that Eric Kratz is, is that, and just his business acumen when it comes to Major League Baseball, is that you know, his big thing was, you know, I want to stay with the Brewers. That that wasn't his big thing. His big thing wasn't, yeah, I want to start. That wasn't his big thing. His big thing was, is, you know, I kind of liked. I made some friends. I liked. I like catching with Pena. You know, I'm going to miss catching with him. I, I, you know, whether it's he's gone or I'm gone, that, that's, that doesn't that's matter. That's the two
0: options. Yeah,
4: I, I'm, I'm going to miss him. <laughs> and I think that's where you get that, you know, that here's a 38-year-old veteran who's been in the league forever, uh, and he's still really childlike in, in the terms of what the game means. And I think he just realizes, hey, I'm getting paid a decent amount of money. I'm doing all right to play a game that, you know, I was playing for free. Back in the day, I mean, even at EMU, he wasn't getting—that's Division Three. He wasn't getting a scally. you know. And, and you know, I'm still—I was playing it for nothing. And uh, I mean, he's just—he's a, a tough guy not to like, and a tough guy not to root for.
0: No, no, no doubt about that. Uh, you know who else roots is uh, student section <laughs> You figured out the segue. You figured out the segue. Uh, it's all about the smooth transition on, on the Rocktown Sports Pod. That was great. Uh, but. Okay, so so let I'm just gonna kind of open this up for you because on, on Twitter recently, and and you've been at some prep games, quite a few prep games yeah. recently, and of course Cody, uh, who you heard from earlier in the podcast, has been uh, just run ragged a little <laughs> bit between between high school. Poor guy needs a break, man. <laughs> between girls hoops, boys hoops, and swimming, swimming and wrestling, track,
4: wrestling, you name it. Yeah.
0: So I I I seen your tweets, you. Have seen some really good student sections. I have the ones in this area, up and down, middle of the road, lower. How do you want to? How do you want to go about this?
4: It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna sound like a complete nutter. Get off my lawn, get off my lawn moment. And I understand that. And I understand times have changed, but I'm not talking that long ago. I'm talking ten, you know, ten, twelve, thirteen years ago, which in the grand scheme of things isn't terribly long, uh, though my hairline may may disagree with that. But there was a point, and I'm gonna go I'm gonna keep it kinda of close. I'm gonna go Augusta County here when I was sports editor in Waynesboro for eight some odd years, is that those student sections, whether it be Waynesboro, whether it be Wilson Memorial, whether it be Stewart's Draft, whether it be, you know, Riverheads, wherever, for everything, for volleyball, for boys basketball, for girls basketball, were just it was one whole side of the bleachers. It was just it was just insane. And I mean for you know, and let's be real here, I mean you know, you kind of you, you kind of expect it for basketball. You do, and and I went to college in Indiana, and I had the joy and pleasure of going to a couple of Indiana prep games. And I can't, I mean, that's apples and oranges, man. It's different. It's that's, different. That's like comparing football in Texas to football in the Valley. It ain't going to happen. There's no comparison. But at the same point, you kind of learn an appreciation for, you know, a whole student section of 1500 strong because every every single student this small little high school in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, and population about 1500 per county. In the high schools, you know, every one of them's at this game. So you got 1,500, 1,500, You got three thousand kids sitting on either side of the gym because in Indiana they got them behind the backboards, and it was just nuts. And and in Waynesboro, Waynesboro had a really good volleyball team back in two thousand and whatever. I don't remember the exact year. I want to say oh five oh six, and I think they lost one set all year. That's pretty. That's yeah. Pretty absurd. On their way to the on their way to the state championship match, they lost the state championship match. But on their way there, they lost one set all year, and that gym was just nuts. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, I had to get there an hour and a half before a high school volleyball game, for crying out loud, to, to so, so to, for me to get a seat so I wasn't sitting in the middle of just B.O. laden high school kids, you know? And, and, <laughs> oh, jeez. And, 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 you know, this before Axe. I was uh, going to say, not, I was saying, this, the Axe shower isn't, isn't, isn't pleasant either. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it was just nuts, and it was great, and the kids did their homework. And, and you know, does it cross the line a little bit? Yeah, it's something, I mean. You know, sometimes it did, and when I mean crossed line, I don't mean anything according to the VHSL rule book. There wasn't anything racial, there wasn't anything sexist or anything like that that I saw. It was just, I mean, they did their homework. They knew who the other, they knew who the star basketball player was dating. Okay, I'm both, you know, both girls and boys. Okay, they knew what's, what, who the, you know, the point guard, what class he was struggling in. You know, if it was history, you had just great historical reference cheers. If it was math, you had great math cheers. And, you know, does that cross the line? I don't know. I think that's up to the administrators. I think it's in good fun because they all know each other. Okay, we're not playing. This isn't inner city Chicago where you got people who are playing each other that are thirty miles apart that never see each other. Okay, these kids all play together in you know AAU ball. They're all playing together in uh, you know junior you know JOs for volleyball. They all knew each other and it was just it was just great and there was smiles and it was just and and you know and around here lately. Uh, I just, you know, I saw it at the East Rock Spotswood game. Uh, the it was, boys good. It was game. good that night. It was fantastic, and those two, those two student sections did their homework. I mean, I, you know, Ryan High, quarterback for Spotswood, uh, also plays basketball, goes up to take a free throw. East Rock student section starts chanting, interception, clap, 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 and the poor guy airballs the free throw, and then it was over from that point. I mean, it was just like, you know, that student section smelled blood in the water, and it was great, and it was, I mean, that's what it is.
0: You know, that's what it is. Yeah, I, and, and here you have that opportunity because all these kids know each other. Exactly. Spotswood East Rock. Uh, Harrisonburg and they, they, all these all these area kids they they all know each other too so you have that same opportunity here correct
4: yeah and 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 that's what makes it great and it's it, I just want to see you know I, I mean I when I was younger when I was in high school I was angry at everything I was your typical angst filled goth you know high school kid who you know oh my parents man give my parents steak you know I mean it, I was just your typical and then you get older and you realize well okay you don't hate everything I'm just Generally annoyed by everything, so be the anger's gone, and now it's just uh, you know just uh, just uh, the uh, general annoyance at things. And I forgot where I was talk where I was going to. What did you ask me again? Uh, just uh,
0: just if if the area kids they all know each other here too, right? Like yeah. you're talking about down in Waynesboro with the Stewart's yeah. draft, and then you know, the Augusta county I guess the county area. How I lost my
4: train of thought. Uh, how, about, quick, don't I? how about that for a sec, <laughs> <laughs> right, Chris? Uh, it's just you know you, I I. I know, okay, I remember where I was going with this. And so, I mean, I just, you know, before, maybe in the past, I would be mad that there wasn't student sections. I would be irate, that, and, and you'd be reading about it in a column, and I'd be calling people out, and, and you know, I'm beyond that in my point. So now I'm just annoyed that there's not. Because I, I like to see it because it benefits everybody, okay? It benefits you as your students because there's your buddies out there playing basketball if you don't play, or volleyball, or whatever, any sport, take a pick. Uh, they like to see it. Uh, those players Two, it lets them you know they're playing for something man i mean this is unless they go into the military or they become a fireman or a police officer uh this is the only point in their lives it's four fleeting years in your life when what you do in a uniform matters to a whole community like it or not it it, it matters because people care and there's and and they like to see that support and they like to see their buddies cheering for them. And you know what? It helps the opposing team. Let's say that game's at Turner Ashby, and let's say Spotswood or you know, someone doesn't travel well. Well, you know what? It does what? Well. Let's go to Broadway. Bro- Cody yeah. had a good example of the Broadway game last night. It was a pretty good student section, the boys game. And, you know, the it benefits the Broadway players when you're you're at TA and you're in a hostile environment because it gives them something to block out. It gives them something to do. People talk about, let's get the shot clock imp- implemented in Virginia High School League because it's going to train these kids for the next level. Yeah, you know, it's going to train the two kids on the floor who are going to play it in the le- next level. But when you got a hostile student section and you're, 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 you're trying to block it out and you're con- trying to concentrate on what you need to do, i.e. shoot a free throw, okay, you're getting trained to block out outside you know interference and i don't want to mean to get all philosophical here but you know you know what that means that means i'm gunning when i say that and then it's like that it's just another lesson that you get when you play high school sports it's okay i got to block out everything i'm doing right now to worry about this one task at hand because you know 20 years down the line when you're working okay you got one task at hand and guess what you got to block out everything else uh, you know, there's some nights I can't go to home, go home and play Kingdom Hearts three for four hours. Okay, I can't play video games all night. I got to go to bed because you know what? I got to be up at nine in the morning to do some work. And it just trains you for that. And it's just a great learning tool. And I mean, student sections benefit everybody, and they make a game a whole heck of a lot more fun to be at, and it makes it a whole heck of a lot more fun to cover because I love sitting in the throes of a student section, despite the act shower. Uh, sense and the occasional body odor. Uh, but it's just, you know, I do it on Twitter. I think the hashtag is take it, take your bleachers back. And that's all I want the kids to do. You know, be respectful. Don't stand in front of, you know, if you got grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad sitting there, you know, cordon off your own section, you know, as much as the bleachers as possible. But cour- and, 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 you know, so you can all stand up the whole time all over there. You're not blocking everyone's views. And don't be jerks. You know, don't, don't, don't do not don't anything stupid that's going to have the administration come over and point at you and kick you out of the game. I don't know if cost has anything to do with it. I've heard some people say they charge students to get into the games. And, and if that's true, that you know, I'll, I'll say this right now, that needs to that's stop. Yeah, That needs to stop. I mean, I, you know, when I was in high school, once again, get off my lawn moment, you know, Chicago Catholic League, we didn't pay to go to games. You just flash your student ID and guess what? You're in there and they shuffled you to the student section. That's got to stop. Yeah, if that's mean,
0: if that's the case. That's that's bad. I know. I know all these schools looking to make a little bit of money. Yeah, looking to make 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 the gate, but
4: Char- charge mom and dad, yeah. charge grandma and grandpa. You know, stop, stop that right now. Yeah, you know, across the board, all sports. Let these kids go and support their buddies, and don't make it a financial burden on them. Uh, you know, my taxpayer dollars, as a resident of Rockingham County, pay to keep those lights on at the schools. They, you know, it, let's get come, the on. Students in come on, get yeah. the students in there. Uh, let them have fun with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, they just make it happen. I mean, make it happen.
0: Before before we wrap up, this well, before is- we
4: wrap up, I want to say thank you very much because I, for the three years you've been doing the walkthrough podcast, your JMU football podcast, which is, you know, which you can get on iTunes and SoundCloud, uh, I, I see you have all these guests on and you even had the TV people on, okay. and I've never been on. So this <laughs> is just a pleasure to finally be on a, a Greg Medea podcast.
0: Well,. Players all mine. <laughs> um before we wrap up, anything exciting going on at the DNR? Anything anything the sports section you're looking forward to over the next over the next couple weeks, months, whatever?
4: Well, we're finally, finally, finally have our fall sports. Yes, I know fall sports, and it's so long ago. We have our fall sports players of the year. Photos done and the stories getting written. Those will be coming up in the next couple of days. And obviously, you know, State wrestling is next week, Saturday, next Saturday, which I love going to. You want to talk about a student section, that's a whole, that's just incredible, anything in Salem, and then obviously the, the postseason basketball and, and all the other postseason, and then it's, just, you know, no rest for the weary. I think we get a four-day break where we can rest and recover, and then boom, here comes baseball, softball, soccer, track, tennis.
0: Yep, it'll all be here, college baseball, <laughs> college baseball, college softball, yeah. lacrosse. that all start this weekend uh, with EMU, JMU lacrosse has a game. We talked about that with Shane. Uh, So plenty uh, to stay in tune with here at the DNR Daily News Record Sports. You can pick up a paper, do it every day, uh, buy our paper. Uh, That's the shameless plug. And dnronline.com, all our James Madison stuff, jamesmadison.rivals.com. So that'll do it for the first edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Uh, Appreciate Jim Sacco hopping on, Cody Elliott, Shane Metlin, and, of course, our first guest, Ben Spots. Uh, For all those guys, I'm Greg Medea.